right, guys, welcome back to Canadian Beef, the Canadian fitness podcast where we talk to people about cool fitness stuff, drink maple syrup, and all that kind of stuff. Today, we've got a really awesome guest, Jamie the Giant, at 36, year old, 36 years old and a massive six foot five. Jamie is, in fact, the world's tallest IFBB pro bodybuilder. How are you doing today, Jamie? Good, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. It's the first time I've been on a Canadian podcast, so I'm looking forward to seeing the. Uh... Uh, we can get this on. <laughs> awesome. Sweet. And how are you doing today, Paul? I'm good. I just, uh, I, I want to respond to Jamie. I love the UK podcast you guys do. Yeah, we've been under a lot of fire because people want to see it back on the uh, YouTube. And I think we'll crumble <laughs> to the pressure this week. We might have to get it back on. I think you should too, man. Yeah, for sure. We, yeah. we need more content. Like, I've been doing a lot of driving lately, so I need like more content to listen to. And it's always cool to, yeah. to listen to like, you know, different like areas because it's, it's different styles, right? It's different styles. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, man. So, but okay. So let's just, the, the elephant in the room, six foot five. How does it feel to be in a different class of your own? Well, obviously we competed together. So you would have um, known from seeing me that, I probably look better in real life than pictures, but I'm still, like you say, an elephant in the room in terms of like the judging criteria. So it is good. You know, I think it's good being different because you stand out and you get that, um, the eyes drawn to you. So I don't think I'm fighting for placements in terms of your standard, standard average Joe bodybuilder. Like, yeah, you know, I think some guys are between, Five seven and five ten, they have to have something about them or just be stupidly big to stand out because sometimes they can like blend. Um, whereas obviously I've not got that, but what I have got is this um, common feedback where I just need to be bigger, just need to be bigger, just need to be thicker hamstrings, thicker back. And I know this, but in my head I'm thinking, well, I'm six or five. I've, I've built a decent physique at this height, which is like you say very uncommon so i almost feel like i should get points for getting as far as i have almost it's strange but i guess you've got to be in this body to understand how hard it's been so far to get this muscle on and know that you need to get more <laughs> yeah i don't think i i don't i mean to interrupt robin sorry but i i kind of have a sense of where you're coming from jamie i'm not as tall as you, but I'm six yeah. one, verging on six two, and yeah. it's like the back. And I get the same comments, you know, the back thickness. Um, obviously, my limbs uh, are an issue, and it's like very difficult to grow those areas. Like, and and you think to yourself, well, you know, I, I'm this height, and it's been like how many calories do I consume in my off season? <laughs> And you're thinking, I must consume like 8,000 calories a day some, most of the time. I, yeah. think I, I was counting it, and it's like, it's difficult when you're taller. Yeah, definitely is. And uh, I think the food part, I, I do envy the, the shorter guys because they can get away with off-seasons, 5,000 calories. I'm like, 5,000 calories, that's, that's mental. I breeze that. You know, I'm eating four and a half in prep. So it is... Um, it does come with its challenges, but also I'm a guy that's driven by challenge. And I, I think that being this kind of person by his own 
rights in its kind of own category only spurs me on and, you know, tries to encourage other tall bodybuilders that, you know, by showing them it can be done, hopefully we'll see more coming through the ranks. I get tons of messages every day from taller bodybuilders saying, you know, you're, in, you're my inspiration because I know from watching you that it is possible. And that's a huge motivator for myself to not just prove to the people that say I can't do it, but also the ones that are supporting me as well. So come on, guys, we're in this together. <laughs> yeah. I think it's cool that you're kind of paving the way, like you mentioned, for other guys that are tall that may have had like some issues with, you know, the big thing is like legs, right? But mm. you, you definitely aren't lacking on legs. And uh, well, I think it's interesting that you were 285 pounds when you turned pro at the San Marino Amateur Olympia, and you've put on 20 pounds of muscle since then. And with, that's some amazing progress, but you're still being told by the judges. And obviously, you know that you still need more muscle mass. So do you have an end goal for your stage weight? I think if I could get to 315, 320 on stage. <laughs> yeah, it's funny saying that, but I think yeah. realistically, if I want to be where I think I can be, and that's like top five in the Olympia in four years time, I think that's where we need to be. And I think I can do that because, you know, five to seven pounds a year, if we have decent off season and not keep competing, <laughs> it yep. definitely is possible. Um, three years, 15 to 20 pounds stage weight extra. Um, I think that will be a, a good look. Absolutely. What was, what was your heaviest off season weight and how, how far, like how heavy do you take it before coming back down to your stage weight? Yeah. You see, um, I get to a point and I don't know it's like, sheer food consumption and, and the body just like not being happy at certain weight and kind of rejecting everything that I try and do. Yeah. Well, I can get to about 3.30 and then that's it. My body just will not play ball anymore. Mm. But it's not a bad thing in the sense that I'm coming down 30 pounds in a prep and I'm stage conditioned. So my composition can change, but I don't lose a ton of weight. And I've heard of preps where guys are losing 60 to 80 pounds. Um, I don't know what I'd need to do. My, my goal's always been, obviously, to push it to 350 minimum. And I do think that I need to get there somehow. Um, and I think I understand my own body, understand the process a lot more now to be able to do that. So like you said, how far do you push it before you pull back? Before I've just pushed. So my blood sugar's probably really high, body fat's really high, body's unhappy, liver's very toxic. Now I think I can manage certain variables to get there in stages and look a lot better with it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's honestly a much better approach because of those things that you mentioned, like just all those health markers that you're talking about, because yeah. uh, even from my own experience before I did the Puerto Rico pro, which we'll, we'll definitely get into that, but yeah. my heaviest off season weight was 317 pounds, but I came down to that show and I was only like 260. So that's like, you know, it's like 57 pounds to lose which is, yeah. it's kind of absurd. And like, I didn't look very good at that weight either. But I think just like narrowing that gap of how far you push it, coming down like between 20 and 30 pounds is probably ideal. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I, I do see the benefits um, in just staying leaner and, and keeping your body happier. Yeah. Um, I always say to my clients, if we can keep the body happy, it's like anything, it's just gonna work better be more responsive, training is going to be more productive, 
I think gone are the days where the the KFC J Cut off seasons are the the like staple ones. Priest <laughs> KFC. Yeah, <laughs> that was me. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> uh, We've all been there, though. We've all been there. I think exactly. it just serves a purpose. But I think you know, like honestly, what suffers the most is like your mind. Like you're just mentally, because when you don't feel good physically, you're not going to feel good mentally. And then when you don't feel good mentally, you're not going to end up being your best. Just not how it's going to yeah. go. What was your heaviest call? What heaviest off season weight? Uh, two eighty. I, I I hit like two eighty. That's as heavy as I got. I mean, I guess it's not very heavy for a guy who's like six one, but two eighty. And I always come down dramatically. So two eighty was my heaviest. But I've never, you know what? I've always been fairly clean in my approach. I've never done that KFC off season. Other than before, before I started bodybuilding, I was a fat bouncer dude. So. That was different. So I think I think Jamie's right. It served its purpose because I was like an actual fat bouncer guy, and I got yeah. my strength there, and I got my muscle there, like my base, um, and I ate a lot of pizza. I mean, <laughs> I was actually hey, back then I was three twenty. Nothing wrong with pizza. That's that's a staple in the off season for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. For sure. Hey man, I had an off season where I was doing a pizza every single night because I had a friend who was yeah. working for uh, I had a friend who was working for Doctor Utker. And it's like they oh. make pizza, so I had a freezer full of pizzas every day. Yeah, that was a that was a mess. But actually, that year I did I did grow dramatically. So I do honestly, like I mean, you know, at this stage, I don't think it makes any sense to do like a a bulk where you get fat. But I think maybe earlier on in your career, you know, maybe yeah. to do to do one, especially if you're young, you can def you can definitely bounce back, and you're not gonna like throw off your health too much. But yeah, I mean, I went from like. I think the year prior, I competed around 200 pounds, and then I bulked up to like 260, and then I ended up getting on stage at like 230. So it was it was significant. Yeah. 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 Um, it's carrying around that extra weight as well, isn't it? It's your body becoming happier, heavier weight. So yeah, it's going to hold more tissue naturally. So it, yeah, it definitely does serve a purpose. Right. Yeah. You change that set point of of where your body kind of naturally sits around. So yeah. It's funny. Yes, talks about that sometimes, like how the the older pros used to, um, you know, eat into the weight they wanted to be, but they'd have to sit there for like six to eight months. Yeah. Or you know they let it go and then they change it up. Yeah. Okay. Total total deviate from everything we're talking about. Do you guys do all you can eat sushi in 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 uh, UK? No, it's not. It's not a big thing over here. It's like certain places, like. Have you got the brand or the um, chain Yo Sushi? Yeah, yeah. Have Yo. yeah, individual pieces. Yeah, so that's all we've really got over here, unless you, you know a specific place that is good and there's none, none near me. You okay. might be interested in this, Jamie. I actually went to the UK. I lived in London for four months and I, I trained for a show. Uh, and I was training at the powerhouse gym there in London. Actually, I think it was, was it Birmingham? Anyway, powerhouse gym. And yeah, I think one, one of the bigger things that, out, this is what I got into was the Brazilian steakhouse. All you can eat. Yeah, like, yeah. That, because I went, I went there and everybody was like, that's where you got to go. And we have this, we have that here in Canada, but it's not really as popular. So then I came back to Canada and I started getting into it a little bit more. And it's like, that's, I don't know, it's whether I'm going to pick Brazilian steakhouse or sushi, like it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it's a good shout. Yeah. The only thing they, you know, 
struggle with on those is obviously it's all meat and if you want the carbs, the carbs yeah. no, you have to go, go ice cream after maybe. That's right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which still has your fats and the sugars. It's like, yeah. it doesn't affect your stomach. Right. That's why pizza's perfect, isn't it? It's got all three. It's like the combination is just spot on. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate food. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I want to talk about a little bit about your, your contest history. So you've competed now twice as a pro, fourth place at the 2020 uh, British Grand Prix, ninth place at the Puerto Rico Pro. I know that you were kind of disappointed about how you placed at the Puerto Rico Pro. You were talking about how you kind of got overlooked a little bit, which I do agree with. Being like that, that guy that's like, you know, the elephant in the room, I don't know how I would kind of compare as a judge. Like it is a friggin' difficult job. Um, yeah. But do you, do you think that it would make sense for you to compete more frequently than in the future so that you can kind of like, you know, have that exposure to the judges? What do you think about like competing yeah. more frequently? I definitely think there's two things that I need to do. Right. So one is compete more frequently to get my name out there and be familiarized with the judges get this height thing boxed off so they're used to me showing up. The second thing is I do need an extended off-season. So mm -hmm. this was my consideration after Puerto Rico. Do I get right into an off-season and then run that right up until like late next year, miss the Olympia and go for the post-Olympia qualifiers? So then definitely got the tissue that I can go back on stage with and just close that gap which they're looking for. Well, I decided to do the second option, which was compete at the back end of this year as there's a lot of shows. Um, so there's the Arnold in the UK, which is like five weeks away now. Two weeks after that is Italy. And then three weeks after that, there's Prague. Then a week after that, there's Romania. And then two weeks or three weeks after Romania, there's Spain. And then two or three weeks after that, there's Toronto. Yeah. So potentially six shows that I want to do. And this is all for two things, getting my name out there. Obviously, we're going to try different things and try and look at the physique and different ways to peak it. And because that's the hard thing for me, I've got to eat a ton of food. Seems like the leaner I get, the more I need to eat and then the harder it is to fill up. So mm -hmm. it's really a balancing act towards that end of show point. And then obviously you're, shoving all this food in, your stomach's getting, not distended, I don't have a distended stomach, but it's not as tight as I would like it to be and as tight as on some checking photos. So that's the plan. Get the name out there, get some points together for next year's Olympia. Off season from December until June and then assess things on obviously how the back end of this year goes first and foremost. Cool. So what are you doing, what are you doing differently now leading into the Arnold and then these shows post-Olympia compared to what you were doing leading into the Puerto Rico? Or, or is it pretty similar? I would, I would say mentally, there's a big shift. Mm -hmm. Because you probably have this as well, Robin. You know, when you turn pro, you, you're back at the bottom of the pile and the pressure is bigger than ever. Now you're not going to perform as an amateur and chase something that you want. You've got what you want, but now it's a living. Now it's now it means everything. Now it means paying the bills, um, supporting the family. So 
it's massive. There's a huge amount of pressure. With that, you've got your coaching, which is very, um, what's the right word, like a dictatorship almost, where you're getting told what to do. You've got to be a robot. Yep. And then you're um, not a slave. I'm trying to use the right words. Definitely not a slave, but I'm going to use the terminology because people understand it, but you're a slave to your sponsor um, in terms of your social media output. I mean, trained by JP, they don't treat me as a slave. But just for context, I'm just trying to explain the pressures. Um, I moved house when I got back from Puerto Rico. So I've moved into a new house and I've got a mortgage. So again, more of a support mechanism that uh, this bodybuilding kind of has to work for. Um, and I just found myself after Puerto Rico getting back into prep for the Arnolds with a ton of pressure that I'd not really felt before and mentally um, stressed. And I'm a chilled person. I'm very good at managing stress, speaking to clients about why stress is bad and we need to do this. And, you know, I've watched a few of your videos, Robin, you have the same mindset as me, very positive, forward thinking all the time. And I just thought, you know what? I just need to enjoy bodybuilding again. How do I get the best out of me? I need to enjoy it again. So rather than thinking I have to do push pull legs because that's what I'm being told is the best thing to do. I have to carry a logbook around because I'm a professional and I need to tick all the boxes and cover all the fucking variables possible. I've gone back to a bro split for my training, which I really enjoy. And this is something I say to all my clients. The best training program is the one that you enjoy the most because that's the one you're going to be excited to go and train in the gym and just put your all into it. Yeah. So leading into this prep, there are a few differences with training. Obviously the diet's the diet. But mentally, I've done a bit of a shift in terms of trying to offset pressure and literally just enjoy the process again, which is what I used to do. But obviously, pressure's mounted and now it's like, I think I kind of, not lost my way, but I don't know if you can relate. You know, this pressure builds up and it's how you deal with it after that. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, I think that's probably like the biggest downfall as a bodybuilder, creating such an enormous pressure on yourself to the point where you don't even enjoy the prep anymore. And to be honest, if you don't doing, if you don't enjoy doing the prep and like, you know, going through all, even the little things, I mean, like, even like shaving the body, it's like you're, you're shaving your body and it's like, it is kind of like one of the worst things you can do as a bodybuilder, yeah. but you, you have to still enjoy the fact that you get to do it. And if you can, if you can enjoy like the mundane aspects of like, just thank you for letting me be a pro bodybuilder that gets to live my dream and just gratitude for the fact that I get to eat the food that I want and train in the place that I want, train how I want, compete on a stage where people actually pay attention to this. Like there's so many things to be grateful for. And I think yeah. like that, that shift and it is hard. Like, I'm, you know, there's, there's no way to, to, to make it easy on yourself when you have high expectations and competing against other guys that also have high expectations for themselves. There is a type of pressure that pushes you forward, but there's also a type of pressure that like takes away from the fact that like, this is something that you should be grateful for. And I think just continually expressing that gratitude is one of the things that whether you believe in it or not, I do, and I fully believe that that gratitude is the one thing that can influence how your body develops, probably even more so than like having the perfect diet or training program. 
like you said, you know, it's like, do you want to do a push pull leg? If you love push pull legs, do push pull legs. If you yeah. don't love push pull legs, do a bro split, do whatever training that you feel like amazing and fired up to do. Right. Yeah. You know what? It's analogous too, in my opinion, like the starving artists, you know, this, this, this goes across any platform, right? But bodybuilding, it, it, it speaks to bodybuilding too, because a starving artist who's not making any money, you know, they, they work off not just personal integrity, but they work off a of passion. And I'm not saying you guys aren't passionate, like pro bodybuilders are definitely passionate about what they do and fortunate. But like you said, the expectations sit in. The sponsors, I, I hear what you're saying, Jamie, even though I don't have any sponsors, I, I die for sponsors, but I understand it's like the starving artist analogy. It's like being backed by a big label or something or a production company. You're being backed by these individuals who are saying, this is the product. This is what you got to do. This is your image. This is how you got to look. And then the judging changes, right? This is how you got to look. This is how you got to look on this stage. This is how you got to look. So this is how you got to train. This is how it, it takes out. It takes out that personal, like, passion and approach that got you the physique that made you a pro. Yeah, 100%. I don't know, am I on there? Or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think what Robin said about the mindset, I've always said that this sport, the people that are good at it are the people with the stronger minds. Mm. And it is about um, being thankful and reminding yourself of how lucky we are to, to do this. and. Just being positive and reaffirming that attitude every day, um, and 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 that's something that I think I, I did temporarily just lose sight of a little bit, and it was only a small glitch in the matrix. We've pulled it back together, and I'm really excited for this prep, and I'm, I'm feeling the best I've felt in a long time, and uh, really looking forward to hitting these shows. Um, everyone's been through the mill with this thing that's going off and still ongoing and again you know being so thankful to be able to compete when we went to the Bahamas was just like amazing when it was thought that we'd, we'd perhaps not be able to you know if we was in Australia perhaps not be able to compete for two three years yeah. uh, maybe not even be able to train um, I know that we as professional bodybuilders with our mindset we'd find a way some way to do what we love um, but it's definitely, it's definitely taken a stronger-minded person to get through this and and still make what we do enjoyable and and stay passionate about it. And I, I think one of the easiest ways, like for the listeners, for example, if you guys are kind of like feeling the way that we were feeling, where you feel like this is something that you have to do, and maybe it's wearing on you because you you have to eat, you have to train, just simply just change from have to to. I get to, I get to go to the gym. I get to eat. Yeah. I get to do these things. It's like, yeah, obviously it's a lot of work, but we chose to do this and yeah. it could, it can be taken away from you at any time on any day. So you really, really should be grateful for it. And I just think, man, it just, it's such a, a good feeling to, to wake up and just like take like a, a few minutes just to have like a little gratitude for yourself, gratitude that you got yeah. to wake up, gratitude that you're having breakfast, like all these little things, right? Yeah. Definitely. We, as bodybuilders, I think that's something else we take for granted, right? That yeah. we're here, we're healthy right now and we're doing yeah. this. We don't have any injuries. We don't have any, you know, problems with our organs per se or anything going wrong. So one day, you know, that'll, that'll happen and right. you won't be able to train. 
Yeah. You got to be, I, I agree with both of you. You've got to be grateful for every fucking day you get to train. Yeah. I think that was one of the problems as well is that I wasn't, um, I wasn't present in the moments. You know, I bought this new house with the wife, yeah. first house we've owned together, lovely house. We've been on holiday and, you know, with bodybuilding already, I've traveled to so many different countries. But the thing is, we're always chasing the next goal, the next pound on the scale, the next meal, the next training session, the next competition. Your mind never stays still. And then with business, with my coaching, it's uh, probably need to push for more clients. Um, what's the bank balance looking like? This, that, the other. And I just said the other day on a, on a YouTube video that I did, I'm making a conscious effort to just be present. Like you said, Robin, you wake up, you're thankful. You just do simple things like, I get to eat this meal, I get to train, I get to do what I love and um, try and take a moment away from these things because they're just like the bane of society and realizing that and being able to put it down and be present with the family around a table, which is something that's lost, is making me feel a lot better as well. And even just like um, like the feeling of like giving your, your girlfriend or your wife like a big hug and just being yeah. there in that moment and like breathing together, like, you know, it sounds weird, but it's like, you know, just feel your belly, like touching her belly, you know, it's like, that's a yeah. sensation that you can only have that sensation if you're in the moment, because otherwise it's like, it's almost like, you know, you have her presence there, but your mind is like seeing through her into like what's behind her, which is like your supplement cabinet or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> The trouble is, the trouble is my belly's pushing against the tits. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a bad problem. It's a good, exactly. it's a good thing. <laughs> so, so before we move on from like this pressure thing, I want to ask you: um, Do you have a goal of winning one of these shows this year? I do, and if you'd asked me that question um, a month ago, probably would have said no would have said I'd like to get top three yeah. but I did have this attitude in the past and I don't know where it got lost but I think you should always aim to win because yeah. if you aim to win then you might get third but if I aim for third I might get fifth yeah so I think you've got to you've got to chase down you've got to overreach but you've got to believe it as well I do I do believe that I can hit a look that is good enough to, to win a show. And the more I do get in front of the judges, the more they're gonna just be used to the height and just say, do you know what, this fucking guy's got a really good physique. It's like, yeah, he's got like a weaker hamstring, but it's twice as long as the guy next to him. So it's gonna be a little bit shallower. Yeah. Um, I, I do see myself obviously progressing uh, progressed already since Puerto Rico. I think I'll take a better package to the Arnolds. Um, and I think, yeah, in one of the shows post-Olympia, Italy is going to be probably some post-Olympians jump into that one. So we'll see. But I'm going in with the attitude that I'm going to win these shows um, because I just think that's the best attitude we can have. Um, I think it's like the fighter's mentality. You listen to a press conference from a fighter, they ain't even thinking about getting knocked down or finishing seconds. Not one single percent. 
And once they do and they get an element of doubt in their brain that they might lose, they've probably already lost. Mm -hmm. So I think as bodybuilders, we should, and, and athletes in any sport, we should always aim to win. That's just the competitive um, thing within us. These people that say, I, I just love taking part, well, they're the ones that kind of just defeated themselves, I think, already. And I don't know, they may, they may take joy out of just competing, but I know to get to our level of bodybuilding as a professional athlete, that's not the mindset that we've got. Exactly. So, yeah. We've got now, to win. shows like that you're you're looking forward to out of the shows you name like is there a particular yeah. show that you you would absolutely not opt out of the arnold uk is the first arnold classic in the uk ever so that's the biggest one yeah but i really really want to get to to canada because i mean i said it to robin when we was in um, bahamas i've been wanting to visit canada for years Seems like you've got such a good vibe going off over there. Um, there's a lot of guys that are at a really high level, so you're kind of pushing each other just to soak up some of that atmosphere and be in a different country and, and see the sights. I would love to uh, be able to do the Canadian show. Um, Italy will be good because Italy's where I win my pro cards, like you said, in San Marino. Um, so going back there with an improved physique and... Maybe if lightning strikes twice, we get the pro card in Italy, qualify for the Olympia in Italy. That would just be amazing. Yeah, that, that would be really cool. And yeah, man, honestly, you should do the Toronto Pro because then you could come down here, train. It'd be a good time for sure. Yeah. All you can eat sushi because it's really prominent here. <laughs> well, I've been watching... Um, do you know the, the food-eating guy? He's like a Gymshark athlete. So he's, I don't watch him for his uh, physique, but uh, Will Tennyson... Will Tennyson, yeah, he's been the yeah. kid, yeah. Watch his stuff, and he's always at, um, oh, what's the donut place called that you've got? Tim Hortons? Yes, he's always there eating donuts, and the, the food out there looks really good, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited already. <laughs> don't don't get your hopes up for, for good donuts at Tim Hortons. Well, if you want good donuts, we'll show you better places yeah. than that. But <laughs> okay. Tim, Hortons, Tim Hortons is like a... One of those places that it's like we're we're known for it, but yeah. to be honest, they have like the worst coffee and the worst food. <laughs> oh, terrible, terrible. Phil assures me there's pizza, so that uh, box is ticked as well. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> who do you think is going to win the Arnold Classic this year? <sighs> it's a tough so, question, man. <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a tough it one. It is very tough. People keep saying Bonac, but honestly, I always find myself like not being able to relate to the shorter guys because I'm so tall and I always lean. You're probably the same, like you always lean towards the taller guys because that's what you resemble. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see Cedric come in, but I've not seen anything from him. Mm -hmm. So I'm really not sure. Um, the other favourite that I've got that I think could be amazing if he like really nails his condition is Akeem. Akeem Williams, yeah. 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 He was really good in um, in Bahamas. I mean, I was watch I was stood on the, the line facing the audience, and he was obviously in the in the top three call out. And he hit a back double bicep facing me. 
and you've seen him, the proportions of him is just crazy. He's not got the biggest frame, has he? But the way he's put together his small waist and his, his muscle belly, it's, it's impressive. I think he's even more impressive in person than he is in, in photos. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I'd like to see him do well for sure. What about yourself? You know what? Honestly, like, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for the Canadians, you know, so I want, I want Ian to be up in there um, because it's, it's a tough call, man. I mean, it's, it's going to be like, it's going to be a lot of different Arnold Classic competitors than we've seen in the past. I personally believe that Bonac will place out of the top three because of the fact that he is the shortest of all of the new guys. Well, he's an old yeah. guy, but, you know, like out of all of the new guys, they're all kind of a little bit on the taller side and yeah, also yeah. very big. So I think that he's just going to get overwhelmed by like the size and stature of the guys that he's going up against and the yeah. fact that he's kind of like, he's dealt with injuries, you know, he's, he's not necessarily getting better. And I think it's going to come down to whoever makes the most progress from their last show to the Arnold. That's kind of obvious, but um, from what I've seen, I mean, Ian's continued to make incredible progress. Um, and then there's also Nick. I think Nick can really do some damage as well. I don't know yeah. if, you know, maybe he's been a little bit underestimated lately because he hasn't really been, do I mean, he won the New York Pro, but then he's kind of been just prepping for this. So, you know, I think it's going to be one of those guys. But then there's also Akeem. Um, and again, like if Akeem nails his conditioning, he's probably going to be the winner. But this is a tough one. I don't know. I don't know if I, I, know. If, I had, if I had to put money on it, I don't know where I'd put my money, to be honest. And then there's like Sergio as well. He looks like he's bigger than he was. Put on some good sides. Yeah. Put on some yeah. good sides. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the pictures. Yeah, definitely. So I he's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a strong lineup. I wouldn't like to judge it. <laughs> and yeah. he will be dangerous. It's just that he's going back to back to back. This is his fourth, third show, right? Third show. Third and show. And he won the two. Who's but, that? Ian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's... Um, some people get better. Depends. I think it depends on the gap between the shows, isn't it? So he's had a decent gap this time. So it's just... I think it's always harder to hold... But he seems to be in a really good place, like when he speaks and obviously happy with his coaching. So that's only a good situation to be in. I, I probably would honestly put my money on Ian. And the reason why I say that is because it goes back to like what we were talking about, about like the enjoyment of it. And just the way that he speaks about this season of his competition, it just seems like he's just like, he's just enjoying it more than ever. And his confidence in his ability to improve is there. Whereas instead of having the mindset where it's like, okay, well, I just competed and I was my best and now I have to like hold on to it. It's like, oh, I fucking love this shit, man. I'm just going to keep getting better. It's like, yeah, I, I put my money on a guy who really believes he's going to get better and who's like, you know, in that fucking moment of love for the sport. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Could you imagine the momentum going into Olympia with three oh. big wins like that? That would be insane. Oh, oh Has yeah. it has anyone done three like since the 90s? I don't know. Not since probably, the 90s. Probably not pre Olympic because no one does that many shows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is new. This is good. And Jamie, you're talking about going from show to show to pro show. I think it's, I think this is good that people are talking about entering these events more frequently. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a good strategy for you to, to learn. 
I think as athletes now, we have to look at ourselves as a brand. And yeah. the only way to increase our stock is to show off what we're made of, is to show the improvements. Now, yes, we do need certain improvements muscular-wise, and, and that, that requires an off-season, but I think if you're in shape and there's shows, you need to take the opportunities that you, you might have because, hey, who knows if I didn't compete this year and have an off-season, then next year might something might crazy happen and I don't get to compete next year as well. So, again, living in the moment, um, it was a lot easier to say, I'm going to go into off-season. Yeah. I'm not going to do the Arnold Classic. Um, I've competed this year. I've got myself out there. But for me, I'm 36 years old. Don't feel like I can take a whole year off. I don't want to stagnate on my progress, not just physique-wise, but I'm looking at it from a, from a branding point of view, social media point of view. I know that when I compete, my social media starts rising quick. Um, and I notice when I'm not competing, I'm still putting content out there for some reason. The algorithms know when I'm competing because there's a different trajectory. But Jamie, you know what I'm thinking? This is totally unrelated to our, our conversation, but you get into like film action film you've got one of those physiques that would translate into movies like people would die it's like um Hathor, right I, mean, yeah, I almost feel like i've got to take as many opportunities as possible in the next four years before i turn 40. so mm. the clock's ticking um, and that's why we're very tactful with my off seasons and the, the competitions i choose yeah. i definitely think it's the right choice to try and increase my stock a bit get my face out there this year so they know who I am properly, like nailed on. Yeah. So you can move on to superstardom. Well, there's a thing in the UK actually at the minute. I did an audition for, uh, you, had the, you probably had the Gladiators because that thing, that was a worldwide thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like the TV show. Yeah. So this isn't the Gladiators, but it's very similar. That's going to be aired on UK TV potentially next year. Um, but that's the situation now where it's with the producers of the TV channel and they want to see us um, do some like trial games for this show. Uh, but that will be aired on like Saturday night TV. So it might be the start of it. But yeah, I, I want to focus on my bodybuilding before I start doing things like that because I don't think you can uh, do both at the same time. I'm one of these. You can be amazing at one thing at a time. I can't, can't there's, a, there's a terminology, um, a jack of all trades, but master of none. Yeah. And I think bodybuilding is one of those that to be the best bodybuilder you can be, you cannot have major focus elsewhere. So I keep my coaching at a manageable level and everything else in my life feeds into bodybuilding. Um, yeah. It's, it's, true. it's everything, everything you, everything that you do has to be conducive to the lifestyle. Otherwise you can't be your best. Okay. But before we move on, I need to ask you a question. Why is British television so much better than us or Canadian television? It's so much funnier, man. Like I can't, yeah. 
It's so much funnier. <laughs> Coronation Street. My mom used to watch Coronation Street every fucking morning, and that music would drive me nuts. Like uh, the Undateables, uh, Dinner Date. Like these shows yeah. are. They're a freaking hilarious, man. <laughs> I yeah, love the it. The Undateables is very good, to be fair. I love it. It's so good. Have you, um, have you seen Gogglebox? No. Gogglebox is good. That's where they like, sit on the couch at home. Yeah. And they've got like several families that they've got a camera in their living room. And all they do is watch TV channels and they film their reactions. <laughs> so I'll have to check that good. one out. Yeah, it's, it's good. Gogglebox. I like Guy Ritchie movies. Guy Ritchie always makes good movies. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. movies are great. Jason Statham is great in those movies, and then he does an American film, and it's like, ah, oh, this is crap. Yeah, he just like sort of puts on his voice, doesn't he? And it's like, oh, it's a bit cheesy, this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love The Undateables. That one, that one always gets me. Yeah, um, I do love, I do love that one. So let's talk about nutrition. I, I was watching a lot of your YouTube videos, and you've been doing... Uh, You've been doing your, your contest prep, you know, and vlogging it and stuff. I think that's really cool, honestly. Um, there's a lot of junk food in your diet. What's up with that? Can you tell us, like, is there, like, a reason for this? Or I just find that probably, probably a mental weakness, but we'll, we'll say it's because I just find I need a lot of calorie-dense foods once I'm lean enough and my metabolism is going really fast and... I'm getting back to my baseline weight within a day or two and then looking super flat. If I have high days, I can eat 1,200, 1,500 grams of carbs and they'll probably last a day and they'll be gone again. Mm. So I'll have these higher days with pizzas and other things. So I'll just set myself a calorie target and typically get four good meals in like bodybuilder prep meals but higher quantities and then two meals where the wheels are off yeah. and then normally 10 12 thousands if we push it we might get to 15 um, and then i'll have probably four to five days out of that where i'm fuller my training's better um, and at the back end the progress is still there so it's like well if I can do it, then then why not? Let's do it. Jamie, I got to ask you this because, so coming off of prep, say you come off the season, you stay sharp, fucking lean, you peak a couple times, you're going to be lean. Like, I don't know, if you're anything like me as a tall guy, you're going to stay lean for like six months and you can eat pretty much whatever for three of those months and stay like absolutely dice, but just get bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, you virtually eat anything aside from the edema that comes with all the bad shit and salt oh, and cheese and that. But you yeah. can do it. You can. I think um, you know, a lot of times as well, I just probably have like on my rest days, I'll drop my carbs through the day and then have whatever I want at night. So I'll probably do that twice a week. And like you say, you can get away with it and you can keep your composition pretty good. So, um, other thing for us is being tall, we've got a longer torso, longer intestinal and digestion tract. So we've not really got to worry about distension. Um, you know, a shorter guy could put away what I put away and then wake up looking pregnant. But yeah. I literally wake up the next day and it's like I've not eaten anything. That's a good point. Weird, yeah. 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 Why, why do you think that there's such a division between 
coaches that incorporate cheat meals and then there's the coaches that are like no cheat meals zero cheat meals i think it's down to the coach's personal preference on what they've done with themselves so yeah if they've not done cheat meals themselves and they might not do not have done cheat meals themselves because they can't mentally handle it themselves then they would associate that with if my client has a cheat meal, then they're going to fall off the wagon. They're going to crumble mentally and it's not good. So we're just not doing it across the board. Yeah. The thing for me, I'm very much, I like to try different things and different methods with different people. So, you know, if I refeed someone, I will assess their mentality and I will think, well, this guy could probably get away with a cheat meal and not have a fucking meltdown. But someone else would be completely different. So I'm on, on the uh, camp where if it fits the person, we will do this approach. And that changes. I'm, I'm quite like that as well. I find that yeah. it's, it's not like a black or white thing. It really does come down to like understanding that person's um, psychology. You know, it's like, like I, I talked about this a little myself, but like I had a eating disorder back in the day. So I was kind of like, oh, no cheat meals. Like I can't handle them. But now I'm a little bit more mature. And I realize that just because I have a cheat meal doesn't mean I have to go off the wagon. And it can be a useful tool. And if you enjoy your cheat meals and it's, you know, something that maybe brings you closer to other people, like your family or your loved one, yeah. like your, you know, your relationship, stuff like that, then I think it can be like a very positive and healthy thing. So I don't know. I feel like uh, probably the best approach is, what we do is that you just have to assess that person and, and yeah. understand that there's going to be differences in, in individuals. I think uh, a big thing as well is, you know, some coaches will say it's not best nutritionally to have a cheat meal. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Well done. But have you considered the mentality boost, the stress relief, mm -hmm. the, the benefits in, other psychological mechanisms that so, having a cheat meal would have that would then loop back round to progress. And it's, I think it's understanding that um, stress mechanism, isn't it? I, I'm always trying to alleviate stress and promote happiness in a person because that will have them function a lot better. That's right. And, and also that, that's, that's a good point. And makes me also think about like how restricted we can be with, our food choices. So it's like we eat rice and cream of rice, chicken, beef, and fish, maybe some veggies. You know, it's like, you know, if you were to have a cheat meal that was something different, maybe there is actually something in that food that you aren't getting on a regular basis that you potentially could be deficient in. And so maybe yeah, yeah. there is a benefit to having a cheat meal. You know, it's like, again, it comes down to that person's food choices, especially for people like myself. I noticed that when I only ever ate chicken, eventually I started developing an allergy to chicken. But when I diversified my diet and I had multiple protein sources and multiple carb sources and multiple vegetables and things like that, I was able to digest a wider array of foods without having digestive problems. So, you know, I guess you could argue the case either way. I think coaches give out those cookie cutter approaches as, as a way to measure you know, to keep things consistent. So they see their clients day in, day out, eating the same foods and they can bridge that into the off season, bridge that into prep. 
but I think you're right in saying that you're missing other macro and micro, well, other micronutrients that you might get from other foods or like foods that are fermented, foods that might be good for your digestion that we don't know of, you know? And that's highly with cheat meals. Like, there's a lot of good reasons you should have them and diversifying, I think is a really good reason probably to avoid food allergies too. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with what Jamie's doing, having a burger a night. From what I read, you were having a burger a night. Yeah, my last crappy bowl of burger, to be fair. This one doesn't, but um, oh. it's, uh, it's not as not as good. But I still get, I get a fillet steak every night, so it's <laughs> not to eat a 10 ounce fillet before I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, one, one more thing on that, I just, because my girlfriend and I, we both have a background of having eating disorders. And so this is something that we discuss on a regular basis. And we, we kind of came to the conclusion that like incorporating a cheat meal for somebody who has struggled with food is actually something that can be beneficial because you start to learn that it's, it's okay to do that, you know, versus like an all or none mentality, because a lot of competitors I'm sure can relate to this is that when you restrict yourself so heavily for four to six months, then you have, the, okay, well now I'm free. And now when, once you become free, it's like, now I don't really know what to do with myself. I have not had the ability to create that self-control around like those dirty, junky foods. So it's like shifting your mentality from, I can have a burger and fries and then I'm okay. And I can go back to my diet versus like, I'm having a burger and fries and then ice cream and then candy and then chocolate and then more and then more and then more. Right. And it's like, it's so, you know, it's like, um, building discipline around cheat meals is actually probably in my opinion, more beneficial than just being completely. Yeah. You know, that's how they treat eating disorders in, in, in clinical settings and institutions. If you're institutionalized for eating disorders. So I have a really good friend who, uh, we, we talk about endless, we endlessly talk about eating disorders because she also had an eating disorder. And she was put in an institution in Toronto. That's it. That's how they treat it. And I thought it was odd because they give you things like butter and they give you things like that you wouldn't typically eat and that they, they, you have to eat them. And I'm like, that's an odd approach by giving people like bad, not bad foods, but normal foods, what we consider, what, what people consider normal and saying, okay, you need to come to terms with the fact that you can eat these things and not, you know, binge or not, whatever it may be or not you know, yeah. Yeah. whatever your eating disorder pertains to. But it's funny how that that's a treatment methodology too. And you're saying that the cheat meals, like incorporating those help you psychologically build that, you know, structure and build that um, willpower. And I think that's right. I, I know with the clients that I prep, the ones that have cheat meals through the prep, they crave far less, not just through the prep, but at the end of the prep, when I think most people crumble, when they've got these massive plans for a huge off season and then in two weeks time, they're 30 pounds up full of water and fat. <laughs> That's when yeah. the people have generally been starved and not, not starved, starved of different foods and off plan meals that just keep that level of happiness there at a point. So you've not got to go and feed like it's the last day you're going to be on earth after the show. Unless you're six, five and you can get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> you can also you can also use uh, you can also use a cheat meal to 
to be creative and have fun, like cooking at home with your significant other. And that's something that uh, my girlfriend and I have been doing this off season. It's like, we have a cheat meal tonight. Do you want to go out? It's like, why don't we just spend that time like being creative together in the kitchen and like bonding yeah. over, like, you know, sharing the responsibility of creating a delicious meal together. It's, it's honestly yeah. a lot of fun. It, it can it's be a fun. lot of fun if you do it that way. Uh, I wanted to ask you actually, because we were talking about this, do you measure your blood glucose on a regular basis? Yeah, so I measure it in the morning um, just to really see that I'm in a decent place. Um, through the off-season, I probably track it a bit more, you know, like you're doing at the minute, Robin, just uh, to see how sensitive you are because that's going to obviously determine body composition a lot of the time, how we're partitioning nutrients and how much you'd be able to eat and get away with and, and not store loads of body fat. So I think it's a valuable mechanism to understand for sure. I agree. And it's one of those things that maybe it's a little bit of a hassle, but it's also then you know for sure that your body is able to handle what you're giving it. And if you're going to use like other things like exogenous insulin, then you're, you're also being more aware and conscious of like how that insulin responds in your body. So I think it is like, it's probably more of like a new age thing because I didn't really hear so much about that with like old school methodologies, but I do think it's, it can be one of the most important tools, like you mentioned, to be able to build muscle on a consistent basis without storing excess body fat. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So, okay. So I want to get into um, some of that stuff that we were talking about at the beginning because, and I think a lot of listeners, at least the tall ones will benefit from this. Robin, do you mind if I address some of these kids? Because I know you, you were going into this. Go for it. Go for it. I talked about this podcast before. And um, one of the reasons I'm really excited, and I'm even more excited now because I got to hear you, Jamie. And it's like yeah. acknowledging and reaffirming all the struggles that, you know, I, I go through personally. Yeah. And I can see it, like just the filling out and the, get, getting that peak for a show. It either comes or it doesn't. And, and like... Some of these questions, and Robin had the one um, already. He was he was going to look at asking you about um, the the limbs and the limb dominancy in bodybuilders. Um, we were talking about this how there's like some torso. It was on I don't know Fuad had a. Do you remember the guests when we were talking about they were talking about torso dominant uh, bodybuilders versus limb dominant bodybuilders? I didn't see that one, but um. I, and I understand what you mean. Taller guys tend to have, taller guys and girls, I suppose, tend to have a little bit lankier limbs because they're so tall. Yeah. Is there a way of addressing that? I I know <clears throat> from working with someone for posing, there's definitely ways that we can pose that make the illusion of us looking shorter or thicker. Quick example. In a front double bicep, and I've only just changed this for this next show, so I'd be interested to see how it looks and transcends from the older pictures. But we're all taught to really elongate our spine, stretch up, and you know lift up, be as big as you can. But as a taller person, we're stretching out an already long torso, making it even longer. So we're creating more space. Mm -hmm. Now, if we haven't got the thickness to hold that space then we should be not like crunching down, but just a little thing. 
contracting your abs a little tiny bit is going to make your waist stay that little bit shorter and keep the thickness in this in this pose where you're taught to stretch out and be big little things like that and then from the back as well very similar and um, there's a few tweaks you can do from the back i'm not going to go into it because somebody's gave me these tips and said they're like top secret but <laughs> kind of get what you, you get what i mean that front double biceps a good example one little tweak of the abdomen and a bit like nick walker does he like squeezes abs to keep his midsection in yeah. well as a taller individual if we can think we need to do the opposite of elongating our torso even more to stay and hold that thickness or just give the illusion that we are thicker than we are, then that's got to be like the priority for certain poses. Um, you know, from the side as well, if we've not got that thickness front to back, then we really have to not be so side on and, and obviously on a side chest be something like this. So they're seeing that opposite shoulder as well. Hmm. Yeah. So angling for the biceps, would it be bad for someone to do a vacuum? Wing biceping top, uh, front double by. I think so. It obviously depends how it looks. Hmm. I, um, I can only really give you my experience with with the vacuum. Is so at, at Puerto Rico uh, for the pre judging, I did a vacuum with my front double bicep, and the judges didn't like it. They just they 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 put me out of the call outs, and you know it was just like no, I don't like this. So I I just you know I said okay, fine. If they don't like that. What else can I do? I just, okay, I'll push my stomach out more and kind of, you know, I'll try the opposite. And they seem to like that more. So it, it really does come down to like, whether it's a vacuum, whether it's crunching your abs, whether it's standing up taller, it, it comes down to like how you're put together as a person. Because obviously, yeah. Jamie, you have a long torso. It's, it's, almost, it's almost too long if you, if you elongate it. So what yeah. you have to do is you have to make it shorter. I have yeah. a shorter torso and longer legs. So I kind of, yeah. I have to elongate it more. So then like, if I, if I do the vacuum, it, it almost, then I'm creating more, like more space. But if I, yeah. if I push out my stomach, almost kind of, it, it takes up more space. So I don't know. It's just, it's, that's kind of the fun thing about posing, right? It's like, I don't know. A, a lot of bodybuilders talk about like how posing is like, kind of like, Oh, like I have to go pose. But again, it goes back to that. Like, oh, I know I'm grateful for the fact that I can manipulate my body and have fun with these different tweaks and changes. And one small thing can make a dramatic difference. And it's yeah. just like, once you find that one thing that makes you look better, it's like, oh, this is fun again. And everyone's an expert when it comes to posing. They all want to tell you how to pose and everybody has a different technique, but it boils down to what looks best on you. Exactly. You have, you, you have to be able to learn from different people and then put together what makes you feel the most confident. Because someone can tell you, this is how you have to pose. It looks the best. But if you're like, I don't really like it, then how are you going to perceive yourself on stage? You're not going to be as confident as you can. And people can feel that energy. So you have to go out there with like, oh, this is my pose. And every pose should be like that. And it takes yeah. time. It takes a lot of time to, to get to that point. So I just want to get back to this whole limb thing. Like limbs, yeah. dominance. He has a taller bodybuilder. What about structurally or training wise, like training methodologies? Is there a way, like, would you, would you add more volume into your arm workout, leg workout? Would you add more arm days and less volume? Do you, is there a specific training methodology you would recommend 
for blowing up like those limbs? The um, the best gains that I've ever had. It loops back to enjoying the training mm. or applying intensity with volume and weight. I think what I've been doing in more recent times is focusing on a lower rep range and a heavier load too much. And mm. I've not been hitting those higher rep ranges. I'm getting stronger, but I don't think that's translated into as much new tissue as it possibly could have done if I was hitting like 12 to 15 instead of six to eights. So I think there's a place for both, but that's just the thing. Both need to be applied. And I think too many people are zoned in now to this low volume, high loads, low rep scheme, that it's all about pushing strength, especially because of social media as well. You know, putting a big lift on your Instagram account is something that, you know, looks good. So people want to do it. I think I did lose sight of the volume aspect of training, which is how I grew my legs in the first place. You know, I've never been a super heavy squatter, but I would do three plates, drop to two, drop to one. Triple drops out of the squat is going to have a ton of intensity, a ton of volume, ton of blood flow, volumization, kick you in the ass, and your quads are going to grow. Now, second to that, what I've obviously understand more now is that we have to manage our CNS fatigue. So mm -hmm. what's going to trash the CNS more? A, drops, a triple drop set on a squat from a free plate, 140 kg, or eight reps on six, seven plates a side. Yeah. Funnily enough, it's going to be the much less rep scheme with the higher load, which in my opinion, you're going to get far less from in terms of actual muscle activation, damage, and growth. Um, so I'm not just thinking about the amount of volume and intensity. I'm thinking about what damages this more and what can I recover from? Mm. And I think less is more in terms of actual poundage. Yeah. I think poundage can be chased by powerlifters. There's super strong bodybuilders out there, but I think some of the stronger bodybuilders that are really thick and dense not everybody's going to be able to train like that and look like that. There's a genetic component to why they are strong and why they are thick. So there's definitely more than one way to skin a cat in terms of channeling your training towards your physique and what it grows from. And that's only going to come with time and learning your own body. But I'm definitely more accustomed to a higher volume with a good amount of weight than a lower volume with a, a stupid amount of weight that I look strong with. Good advice. Yeah. I wonder, does that have to do with muscle fibers too? I mean, what do you think taller guys have more fast twitch versus slow twitch, like different type fibers? Robin, you would know this as, as a Ken. I mean, I can tell you the answer. And the answer is that it's very sport specific. So yeah. if, if you're a sprinter, you're going to have faster twitch muscle fibers. If you're a bodybuilder, you have a pretty good balance. If you're an Olympic weightlifter, you have more fast twitch. If you're a power lifter, you have more fast twitch. You know, if you're a long distance runner, you have more slow twitch. But there's always a balance. It's always like, like, uh, like with bodybuilders, we're probably going to be like maybe 60, 40, you know? And, and it is true that a lot of the faster twitch muscle fibers are the ones that respond the most to hypertrophy training. So we're going to have a good, but also remember, like we do a lot of aerobic work too. So that's, that's why we can never really fully influence 
to be like fully fast switch because we also have like an endurance component, right? And, and like Jamie was saying, like, yes, there is, there is multiple ways to skin the cat. There's multiple ways to build muscle. And I think that it's like you, you evolve your training over a period of 10 to 20 years or however long you are involved with bodybuilding for when you're young in your career, you spend that time like learning, like proprioception, like, you know, how to balance yourself in space, how to contract muscles, how to lift heavy weight with proper form, bracing, all of these types of things. But um, you, you build a certain base of strength. And then once you get to that point, I think there's a law of diminishing returns where once you get to a certain base of strength, like let's say it's like four plates on a squat, like Jamie was saying, it's like, would you rather do three plates and do high volume and get the result from that? Or would you rather push five plates, risk injury, overload your nervous system more so than your skeletomuscular system? So I think there's a trade-off there. And what I've done with my own training is like, I've been, I've been training here at Pure Muscle and Fitness with Mike and he's crazy with the, the giant sets. A giant sets are something that I've, I've never done in my life. Yeah. I was like doing maybe five exercises and the five exercises take me about two hours to do because there's, there's so much building up to the one heavy set. Now yeah. it's like, go, go, go. We do, we do 10 to 12 exercises in 60 minutes and that's it. And yeah. Then I wake up the next day and I think like, I feel fresh. I can do it again. And it's just, and then it goes back to just whether that's enjoyable. And right now that's what I'm finding as the most enjoyable experience because it's a brand new challenge for me. So I think we have to think like, this is what got me to this point. But now that I've gotten to this point, I can't continue to do the same thing. I need to find a new novel stimulus, not only for my body, but also for my brain. Yeah, and that's, that's where you're find the best result but hold on one sec guys let me just charge my my laptop here yeah. i just got into the toilet as well on that note so that's good timing because <laughs> i'll take a break hey yeah. we'll cut we'll cut to the commercial break paul go ahead <laughs> guys um gorilla wear canada i don't usually do these uh these sponsor intros so gorilla wear canada guys thanks to our sponsors gorilla wear canada our promo code is beef what is it? Beef 10? Beef 20. Beef 20. Ooh, yeah. Beef 20 at these for 20% off at GorillaWare and Helix Labs, Beef 20. Guys, check the sites out, www.gorillawarecanada.com and Helix Labs. Helix Online. It's, it's Helix uh, online, is it? Okay. Helix with two X's online, but it's we'll, full. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it right here. Or we'll put it right here. We'll put it right here. Wherever it is, you guys will see it. And the discount code is beef20 for both. But um, yeah, if you guys want clothes, if you guys want SARMs, that's the way to go. And using the code does help to promote and support this podcast. So, you know, we just appreciate you guys listening to us. And um, when Jamie gets back, we're going to get into some listener questions. Put some clothes like, oh, I'm not, uh, Robin, just a couple more questions for tall guys. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So what, you, so what do you think, Jamie, to, to uh, men and women who use the excuse of being tall and being unable to build legs, what do you say to them? Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit, you're taller than they are and you got great legs. <laughs> yeah. I think what it is, is, it takes longer and we have to eat more. A lot of people fall down because they can't eat what they need to eat. So they say, I'm a hard gainer. I can't gain weight. Well, 
you can, you're just not eating enough. It's a simple equation, isn't it? I think you so have the food gets stay, a lot of people. Stay consistent with the training too. I mean, it's easier for a tall guy. I, I speak from experience to uh, legs is a difficult exercise for tall guys mechanically. And I think consistent with the training is a piece too. So I'm sure you never skipped a leg day because you were like, oh, my, my low back's going to feel pain. Or It's just choosing exercises which feel good, right? For anything. Yeah. You don't have to do a squat because someone says that squats are the best exercise for legs. It's not necessarily the best exercise for you if it doesn't feel right. Um, there's obviously some mobility things that we can do to be able to get in a squat position. But I've had normal height guys can't get in a squat position because the mobility sucks. Yes. Um, so it is just exercise selection. And I think for a lot of people, perseverance, um, making sure you're hitting a full range of motion, yeah. being intense enough. I mean, how many of us, all of us probably know that the gen pop gym goer doesn't even really understand what failure is. No. So if they're not pushing to failure or close, they might be crushing the gym in the head, but that's the only place they're crushing the gym. It's also a belief system too. As soon as you see, I can't, you've yeah. just fucked yourself right there. You, you can, you will, you are. Yeah. Let's get into some listener questions. One, one more thing, Robin. One Go more for it. I know I, you're going to kill me. But I, I, I added this section here. We were talking about this earlier about, uh, I have to ask, because Jamie even brought it up, peaking. Peaking for a show as a tall guy. Because this is like the most difficult thing, I think, when you're thinking about the sheer amount of food. And Jamie alluded to it. When, you, when you're like super lean, like you can see my face right now. I'm yeah. depleted. So, and I think maybe Jamie, you were speaking to this. When you're, when you're this depleted, Filling yeah. out as a tall guy is like, and sometimes I think my coach doesn't believe me. Uh, thinking I can eat like upwards to a thousand or more grams of carbs for five days and yeah. still flatten out overnight. Yeah. So, so do you, I, I need you for the listeners, for us taller guys to yeah. speak to this whole peaking protocol. I, I want to go through the whole thing that, that you've experienced I even want to talk about if you can, and Rob and I talked a little bit about diuretics. Is this bad for tall guys? Is it something we have to be very selective on or selective with? Because Definitely. we're already having trouble filling out. I'm sorry, Jamie, you go ahead. You tell me. No, it's fine. I, do, I think, um, you know, there's all sorts of things that we do during this peak week. Um, do things with your water, do things with your sodium, add a diuretic, do things with your drugs. My feeling is, and this is what I'm going to do this time, because I have um, done things in the past which I think have changed the look and changed the variables at the last stage when it's like, well, you're just guessing then. You're at a point where you're guessing. So I'll be open and honest. Like, typically, for a show, I would use quarter of a diazide before going to sleep, and then I would use quarter with meal one. So only half. Small amount, just to, like, for me... Give me that insurance that I'm not going to hold the water from all the foods. Just get that last, that last layer of water off so you're nice and dry. But for a taller person, I think the degree of what can change is bigger. Because mm -hmm. we're bigger. Mm -hmm. So someone short might only flatten out this much and you can't really notice it. 
or someone big and tall, well, they might flatten out to the point where now you fuck your side shots or now your chest has just disappeared. Yeah. Now you just lost condition because you're soft and you're not... That's it. So my feeling is, obviously, the key is get ready early, like, like you are, you know. Be ready three weeks out. So you can almost trial loads into each weekend. And then this is really simple, and it's probably going to make think, people think, ah, oh, why didn't I ever think that before? But let's say your show's on a Saturday, and you know the class timetable, and you're going to be on stage around 6 p.m. Okay, so on every Saturday leading into the show, doesn't need to be a Saturday, it can be any day really, but pretend it's a Saturday, I'm going to structure my meals and my water intake and train as if I'm doing my pump up to go backstage at the, the certain time. So you've got to mimic your show day, mimic your food, mimic your water, and then how you look in the gym on that training day. If you look perfect, then change absolutely nothing. Um, and I think it's just a case of us being controlled and have a plan not for the last week. The last week should be the same as the previous five weeks. There might be small changes in food consumption amounts, but I don't think this decarb, carb up process really works for us. Because mm -hmm. again, we need a ton of fucking food. We're depleted anyway. I think mm -hmm. there's much more scope for feeding into a show over a longer period of time, getting ourselves to our best look, and then looking at that and thinking, right, okay, so how much food am I on now? Is this holding my weight? Is this holding my look? Am I flattening off? Am I putting on too much? And then you can just pull back or push forward a little bit. So you're running in to the show on the amount of food that your body needs to get your best look in the gym. And that should then translate to stage. The only thing that's going to change is the level of stress that you've got mm -hmm. because you're and that is just a personal thing that we have to manage. But your body is more stressed if we're changing all sorts of variables like food amounts, water amounts, salt intake, diuretics. Just don't think there's any need for it because we're chasing at that point one or 2%, but we're going to ruin 10%. So what's the fucking point? <laughs> That's good advice, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to practice what you're going to... You know, there's, there's one thing that I, that I, I hear over and over again when I do uh, this meditation program, and it says, you don't always get what you intend, you get what you practice. And yeah. so if you're, if you're not continually practicing your peak throughout your prep, then it really is just a guess at the end. You're just, you're just guessing, right? Yeah. And I, I think it goes back to like doing those, uh, those more frequent competitions too, is that then you also get the ability to practice mitigating the stress. On yeah. top of what you mentioned, Jamie, is like practice what you're going to do with your protocol and then practice what you're going to do with your mental physiology, right? Yeah. I think the key is being lean enough. I mean, yeah. when I did my first few shows, it was the, the same comment that we've all heard before. And it's so funny to think back and think that I actually thought that this would happen. But you're not ready yet but wait till the last week when you drop your water and up your carbs. You'll look yeah. amazing. It's <laughs> not going to change nothing. If you're still fat, you're still fat. So, yeah. If a coach tells you that, guys, run. <laughs> yeah.
And, you know, on the point of diuretics, as I know it's a big thing at the minute, rightfully so, um, diuretics are not a fat burner. Um, they're usually used because people aren't ready. And that is really not the intention of use. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we, we're all advocates of use and not abuse as well. So my feeling is I can run into these next shows, not use any diuretic at all, and I'll look better. So I'll yeah. use myself as my own kind of advertisement for that. And you know, I'm open and honest with um, we have I have a log on Train by JP's app and website where I put all my protocols, diets, everything on there. So and I'm on some of socials, as you know. So I'll keep people updated on how that goes and they'll see the look on stage themselves anyway. Can, can I ask, do you know what your calorie recommendations are? You know, at least your your carbs and fats around peaking for a show. And I know you said you'd pre-prepare, but do you yeah. have an idea? So I would probably eat um, typically six meals with 150 to 200 grams of carbs each. Mm -hmm. So that could be standard carb load would be 1200 grams of carbs a day. Um, and I'd probably run that for three days if I was doing my older method of the carb up. And then I typically in the past, what I've done is um, if the show's on a Saturday, I will have the Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday of high foods, leaving Friday the day before the show when I have less food, just okay. to let things settle down, let me get rid of any waste. Distended. Make, yeah. make sure I run into that day with a, a, a trimmer stomach. Yeah. But even then you're running the, the risk of, now I've changed my food quite drastically, am I gonna flatten off? Mm. Um, so I think it's essential that we do add fats to try and hold that carbohydrate intake some more. And I'll just use probably 10 grams of fat per meal. Dark chocolate's my go-to, to be fair, when I'm uh, in the last week of prep. Cream of rice, banana, dark chocolate, and whey or turkey. That's, that's the meal. Wow, I want that meal. Yeah. <laughs> it's very good, it's very good. Good prep. Yeah, obviously we lower protein at that stage. I'll probably be in um, 100 grams of protein. I don't know if you do it in ounces. That's probably like three ounces of protein, Not maybe four. Yeah. Um, so protein probably halves, to be fair. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, carbs, at least a thousand for, like you said, if it was for five days, then that would probably be okay, but we might need more. And the pizza. <laughs> the pizza. The, pe the yeah. pizza. For some reason, coaches love burgers and fries. Though. Yeah, I've had a pizza in uh, peak week. But what you need to do is, again, like Robin said, this is all planned and practiced. It's not done um, yeah. in the dock. I've done this in the past, so I know how long it takes for that pizza to get rid of that little bit of water that you might hold from it and create the best look, which is normally about two days after it. So <laughs> I was channeling that into a load and shows on Saturday that I had the pizza on the, the Wednesday night. Yeah. What do you yeah. think about uh, What do you think about pizza after pre-judging before the night show. <laughs> well, the, when, when, uh, when stuff doesn't go to plan, the wheels come off and you end up in the pizza restaurant. <laughs> it definitely, um, this, is, this is a very good point, Robin, actually, because you probably know yourself and, and this is something that, again, people are misguided by. They think that when they get backstage, they can put 
chocolate in their mouth and they're going to be really vascular. Mm-hmm. Or they can go and eat a burger and a pizza and one hour later they're going to look completely different. They're going to suck up all the water and they're going to be shredded and full. It's too late. I don't think it's going to... The only thing that that pizza does is it affects the waistline and it affects your ability to contract your abdomen and hold your pose on stage. Yeah. At that stage in, in, in your prep on that competition day. That, Luckily for me... That's true. That is 100% true. Yeah. I know I could get away with it. So it's kind of like, a, well, I know I can do it. So I'm just going to go and have a pizza and just relax until the night show. <laughs> oh, no problem. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, then you can get ninth place and I'll get eighth place. So. <laughs> you know what? It, it, it disturbs me. Maybe if I didn't have the pizza, I would have uh, been eighth instead of ninth. <laughs> a little blow there. A little blow there. Yeah, bugger. You know, you know what, though? It's, it's all about learning and getting better, though, right? So Yeah, it is. Um, and it's all about making choices from being in the moment. And then in that moment, I was disappointed. I went and had a pizza. If I was first call out, would I have had the pizza? Definitely not. I'd have had my chicken and rice. I would have fucking going to lay down and put my feet up. But <laughs> you know it is what it is. You know what's interesting about that, though, is I want to give you my experience. I'll tell you what I did after prejudging. That yeah. actually, it somehow made me jump from where I was in like 10th or 11th to fifth and then, and then equaled out at eight. So when I got back, I was really disappointed. I was like, I made a video and I was like, okay, whatever. I'm in the third call out, fuck this, whatever. And then I was like, okay, you know, you know what? Like, this is some, that, that's bullshit. Like there is a chance here to get better. So I said, okay. So I talked to my girlfriend, what do you think? Right. What do I need right now? She said, you just, you just need to eat some sweet potatoes. I'm like, all right. So I think we had like six or seven sweet potatoes put them all in the oven, ate all of those sweet potatoes. And I think what then happened was because of the, the amount of potassium that was in that sweet potato, it's like a lot of the extracellular fluid then went like within the muscle cell. And then when I came back, I was like, oh, fuck, this is a good look. And then yeah. the judge came out and he said, I don't know what you did between the morning and the night show, but you got to come back looking like that. So it's like you have to make that decision where you're going to try something different because again, it's like if you do the same thing every time, then it's not really an experiment. But if you if you do if you do everything the same except for one thing, then that one thing can be your scientific research. And we are our own research model. So you know, it's yeah. like how, how many variables can we keep the same, and then one variable we change. So whether that's a different food like a pizza, or whether that's like. Yeah a whole bunch of another food that you've been eating, it's, it's all dependent on like what you choose to do. But, you know, you, you got to accept that choice, whether it makes you better or worse, you have to accept that yeah. choice and then use that information for the next time, right? And again, like going back to like competing more frequently, if we choose to compete more frequently, then having one slip up like that, it's not the end of the world. It really no. isn't because there's so many more opportunities. Yeah. So... And I don't think that doing that pizza made me look any worse in particular. And I don't think it made me look any better. So it wasn't the end of the world. No. It's just, it's not essential. It's definitely not going to gain anything. So I won't be doing it in the future. It's a risk. It's a risk. but But how did it taste? It was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It was worth it. It was worth it. Oh, I, had, um, I, had, I actually had 
a slice of carrot cake, and that was even better. Oh, I did too. <laughs> I got I got the shrimp and honey pizza, which I just I thought it was interesting. So it was yeah. shrimp and honey, and then uh, and then the slice of carrot cake. That is my favorite dessert. Where's this? Uh, it was good. What was, was it? At, it was at the Pizza Lab. Yeah. Oh, Pizza Lab. It was that in was the hotel actually. It was it was in the the host hotel there where the competition was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. You guys, you were in the same. Okay, that's why. Same venue, same competition, same cheese, yeah. style, same carrot cake. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. I thought you what had. They to do, what they need to do at these shows in the future is finish at a reasonable time. Yeah. So at least you can like chill and go for food, even like with a few of the athletes. That'd be great. Yeah, the pro shows. They're doing that here in Canada because I'm doing a couple regionals. So I'm doing regional. Yeah. Then I'm doing the, our nationals and uh, even the national format. So I like this. The one I did started at 9 o'clock. You were gone by 11. All the men were done at 11. Yeah. 9 to 11. And then, yeah, the one I'm going to do, it's uh, you can drive in if you're far. It, the way in is from between 9 and 12. 12 and 5 is the whole thing, then you're done. Nationals is going to be between 9, I think 9 and noon, and you're done. Nationals. So... If I was a restaurant owner, like, for example, like at the, um, the Grand Hyatt, like where the Puerto Rico Pro was being held, if I was the restaurant owners, I would say, okay, I'm going to stay open late on this day because I know I'm going to get a ridiculous amount of business from all these bodybuilders. So it was kind of like, I don't know why you would close when you know you have customers coming, but hey. What's well, like the Cheesecake Factory in Ohio when they do the Arnold's? That place is cramped. Yeah. So what do you think, Paul? Can we get into these listener questions now? Or? <laughs> yes, thank you. I tell people peaking questions and yeah, everything. Yeah. It's very insightful for us. It's good. Guys, what is good? So the first question here, um, it says, do you guys drop sweeteners like sucralose, stevia, pre-contest? Yeah, I don't take many sweeteners in at all anyway, to be fair. Um, the only sweeteners I really had were the ones in the way. In the way, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, I think as you get leaner, I don't think your body builds intolerances as such, but as we get closer to the show, I think we get more stressed. Yeah. And I think the stress definitely impacts our ability to digest these things. We, we get more sensitive because the stress mechanism is just turning at a higher fucking rate. I agree with that. And yeah, then there's, there's also, yeah, like there's, there's yeah. the, um, the psychological component where you think if you believe that this might hinder you, then it will. And yeah. if you believe that it'll make you better then it will, I think it's, it's very individual in that regard. It's crazy to think, isn't it? That, you know, my philosophy deems a diet Coke to be a treat and I'll probably have one in 10 days. Yeah. Well, then you see other athletes, they're having sugar-free syrups and Diet Cokes and everything like monster drinks daily. And yeah. they're getting in shape. So I, I do think it's a lot, large personal component to how you manage your own stress and whether that's going to have stress attached to it or not. And if, if you don't, if you can quite relax, have them, then it, it might work. Yeah. From my own experience, I mean, the shows that I've won first place I, I cut out my sweeteners and the ones that i didn't win first place i kept them in so yeah. is that a coincidence i honestly can't tell you 
Um, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things that's like, yeah, for sure. If you, if you believe it's going to hinder you, then it most likely will. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. I, I, I got to ask, cause you mentioned the, the protein powder up until what I saw Frank McGrath doing this in a video. He was, it was the day before show, or it might've been the, the day of show. And he put his way in his oats in the morning before, yeah. you know, getting on stage. When do you guys as pros cut the, do you, anyone, do you cut the protein at all? I didn't for Puerto Rico. Um, well, I have in the past. And again, I think, um, I know it's another box ticked. That might make a difference. Okay. You know, minuscule it be, but I think for me, my mindset works better if I know that I've ticked as many boxes as possible. So we'll put that in the same category as sweeteners. We don't really yeah. know, but mitigate it. I'd probably run it up until the last week. And then <laughs> I'd go for the white meat. I mean, if you're, if you're keeping it in and you're, you're doing this protocol that we talked about where you're, you're peaking for a Saturday and then you're, you're looking yeah. great. If you're, okay, if you're looking great and you keep weighing, then you don't need to cut it out. But if you're, if you're getting any kind of bloating or you, you have things that you need to fix, then maybe you can use that as one of the variables to try cutting out. For me, I just cut it out because I like eating whole food. It's like I get really hungry. And so it's like, am I going to have some weight or am I going to have some chicken? I usually just pick the chicken, but I think really it's just personal preference. And at that point, you're trying to fill out. So you're eating enough food. You're not like starving. The, 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 and, and you're eating less like starving. The, 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 and, and you're eating less protein, right? Because you're eating more carbs and fats. So yeah. really, it's, it's a moot point because why would you want protein? But I was thinking more like two weeks, three weeks out. Like, if yeah. that's a factor, then because I, I do like, you know, to get my protein and my oats in the morning instead of egg whites. Yeah. Who's, who's I, Nick, Nick, not Nick Walker. It's um, Hunter Labrada. You guys yeah. heard him? I keep deviating. I'm sorry. But Hunter Labrada has been talking about eating nothing but protein powder. Yeah. You guys think that's marketing? I don't know. I, maybe he maybe we'll I don't see. He has an appetite. Yeah, I think he does a lot of shakes, to be fair. Yeah. I've heard that, yeah. Some guys just don't have a big appetite, so they just they prefer to have that. If, if that makes it more enjoyable for you, then, hey, I don't see anything wrong with it, right? Uh, yeah. I usually eat my meal. Like, if I eat a meal, it only takes me five minutes, and I really like eating food, so <laughs> I prefer it, you know. But again, like, if I'm going to have cream of rice and whey, like, that's delicious. I like that meal, so. Good. Yeah. Um. This guy wants to know about cardio in the off season. What do you guys do? Do you do cardio in the off season? Not much for heart. Yeah. I walk. Yeah. I, I've kind of changed my views on this. I think activity in the off season is very important. Yeah. Um, I think just from a health standpoint, but I think if we, you know, part of maintaining our body composition is doing cardio, which is going to then lend to more performance in training. Um, now, we might have to eat a bit more to offset the expenditure, but I'd rather eat more and be fitter than eat less and be really in poor health. Okay. Yeah. But let's, let's, let's change this question around or let's, let's, let's 
look at some of the variables here. I mean, what, what kind of cardio is this person referring to? <laughs> That's the difference. Like, are we doing like hit cardio on the Stairmaster in the off season? Like we've got to delineate the difference between cardio, healthy cardio and off season cardio. Cause I see some people go to town on the Stairmaster during their off season. And Jamie, is that what you're alluding to? Like, you know, are you hit cardio for an hour on the Stairmaster after training? That can't be good. <laughs> I've come around to the fact that steps is actually a good thing to track. Yeah. Um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't in the school of steps, but in terms of controlling our activity and just being mindful of how much we're doing, I think it's a very good tool through your off season and your prep. So I would just set myself a step count. So ten thousand steps. Yeah. I hit that, then that's um, my expenditure sorted, and that's going to then help towards general health and performance. So healthiness. I mean, really it boils down to this. Are you a healthy individual who likes to go outside and move around or are you a sloth? Like, cause there are bodybuilder sloths and they use it as an excuse. They're like, oh shit, I'm just gonna sit on my couch all day, eat my meals and train once. Then I'll hit the, the stepper for 10 minutes. I mean, who does that? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of do like a combination. I mean, like, I sit on the computer a lot, so I kind of mitigate that with a walk in the morning. And I, I even sometimes do a walk in the evening. But I also, I enjoy doing like some high intensity cardio in the off season. I just, I don't know, I just, I just find it like as a different challenge. It's like, can I maintain my breathing for 20 minutes and like get yeah. into a meditative state? So maybe I'll do the stairs. Maybe I'll do like some bike sprints. I don't know. I feel like getting, getting your heart rate up, like trying to push towards the heart rate max once in a while can be beneficial. Because then you're, you're kind of like, you're teaching your body that it's, it's okay to get to that, that max heart rate once in a while. And then when you do like a hard leg day, if it's like a giant set leg day, you're not yeah. being limited by your cardiovascular ability. So I think, I think there can be some carryover, but it's like, again, it goes back to like law of diminishing returns. It's like cardio every day for, for 40, 50 minutes. Maybe that's too much, but I do the stairs maybe three times a week for about 20 to 30 minutes. It's, it's a hard cardio session. And then I do like an easy walk in the morning and, you know, then there's some extra physical activity there too. So I think, yeah, yeah then, you know, then I get to eat a little bit more. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Good question though. Good question. It is a good question. Yeah. Um, I think, I think we got to wrap it up there guys. Cause I do have to get going uh, to an appointment. Did you want to, do you want to have any last words, Jamie, before we head off? Well, I just do the, the um, classic end of podcasting where I thank my sponsors, trained by JP. Go and check them out on the app and follow my log. Um, obviously, if you don't have me on social media already, it's AK the Giant. And obviously, I want to thank you guys for having me on. And um, I'm looking forward to visiting Canada in <laughs> December for the Toronto Pro. Awesome. We're looking forward to seeing you at your next shows. They're going to be uh, obviously really, really good shows. So. I'm sure you're going to do some good damage and get the win at the show that you yes. really want to get that win at. I'll yes. stay positive. Definitely. I'm in the mind. <laughs> huge That's fan of Jamie's. Like I've been following you for over a year now and it's just, yeah. just phenomenal to see someone of your stature. Just you stand out, man. I think it's, it's, it's awesome. I appreciate it. Mate. And, and this time I have actually got a guy helping me choreograph a routine Cool. the Arnold Classic. So instead of winging it, this is part of our job as well, isn't it, Robin? I think we need yeah. to 
devote more time for posing, but these routines, I think they are part of what we're going to be kind of remembered for and noticed for. Mm-hmm. If you go and say your shit routine, you kind of got a bit of a gun to your head to start off with. So I'm going to take that gun out. I'm going to fucking light some fireworks and we're going to have a party. <laughs> a new standard, right? Let's create a new standard yeah. with the posing. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Just a, it's being professional, isn't it? This is our profession. And that manifests through all aspects of this. That is one aspect. Now, if we're not ticking the box there and we're being lazy, then that might manifest into other parts of being a bodybuilder. So that's it. We're fucking ticking all the boxes this time. Love it. Love it. All right, guys. We, we, we need Jamie back. We got to get him back here. Jamie, oh. you're more than welcome to come back anytime. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you, guys. We'll, right, we'll sort after the um, after one of the shows, so we can like maybe yes break down yeah. after we've got the result. Yes, that sounds amazing. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. Get out of here. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a great day, guys. Have a good night, Jamie. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, Jamie. Nice, guys. Thank you.